All righty, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Logan. I'm here with my co-host, Matthew Billingsley. Uh, we're going to be talking today about something we're pretty excited about. Um, and if this is your first time hearing us, we're glad to have you. Hope you hang around for some more. Uh, if it's your second time hearing us by some miracle, you caught our first episode. We're really glad that uh, we may have come across interesting enough to give us a second shot, at least. Welcome to Against the Mob. Yeah, yeah. Um, whatever you do, uh, smash that like button to copy Tim Pool. <laughs> Subscribe, share with a friend, um, get it out there. So what Logan and I want to talk about today is um, this, the idea of us versus them and what the, as what we see the true us versus them complex um, of our time is. So to start with, I think it's really important to really embrace who we are and where we've come from and really recognize the fact that um, it is the tendency of humans to create groups. There are advantages, of course, to organizing into smaller and larger groups, but with that come um, some problems that we'll dive into later. But the idea of us versus them is a very consistent theme of human history, and it really carries into the current political landscape. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, it's something, and, and we want to make sure that we address exactly the tendency for us to, to form these groups. Um, and it may not be obvious yet, because this is our second episode, provided that this recording goes better than the uh, first iteration today. Uh, 30 but, minutes in and the audio blew up. <laughs> already jack it up, uh, which it's actually doing right now. So we'll see if that continues. And hopefully we don't have that issue moving forward. Um but we don't want to straw man this. I mean, Matthew and I come from an area where we we are about individual rights, about libertarian ideas, uh, and about a minarchist society, if not anarchal. Um, we fight our own ideas on whether we're anarchist or minarchist every time we seem to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but we realize there not only are advantages to the organization of society and, and providing safety and, and certain advances within society, but that it is something that's naturally within us, that we've, we've seen human beings do this throughout history. Uh, and that it, it certainly has brought us out of the stone age in, in some regards. So it's, it's not this black and white argument of safety versus freedom, but rather what is the right mix and what should we be looking for? And at what point does that safety start becoming an infringement upon your rights rather than uh, literal safety and, and order within your own household? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a really great book to everyone has to read it, listen to it. Um, however you digest uh books. Uh, Yuval Harari has a great book called Sapiens. And in that, one of uh, one of the more foundational chapters that stuck out with me is uh, where he talks about Homo sapiens' ability to um, create myths. And it is the idea that the stronger the story is, the stronger the group. Now, whether that, um, that group is uh, sapiens interacting with our cousins, um, you know, Neanderthals or other type of Homo species that we have... Um, probably eradicated throughout competition and genocide over the day, over, over time, or whether it be the idea of nation states versus other nation states or demographics of uh, certain populations inside uh, borders um, in countries, right? Whether you get internal fighting or external fighting, but the idea is the stronger the story is the stronger the group. And it is pretty consistent that um, the myths that we organize ourselves around really have power because that's what really, that's what binds us together as groups of people. Right. And we've seen that there's uh, throughout history, we've, we've seen a lot of rulers advocate for God, whether they're the literal iteration of God on earth, or they've been ordained by this deity of this higher power that they have the right to rule over us. Uh, and like you said, it's easier to organize people. You, you need a story or a myth to drive people in the same direction. And it can be a useful tool for the state to, to get people organized to accomplish things, uh, whether those things are things that we might consider grotesque like war, genocide, or, or things like creating the Great Pyramids. I mean, these, uh, these didn't come from tribes of people who independently decided to stack rocks together. It, it did come aliens. from an organized society <laughs> and aliens. <laughs> different story for a different time. Um, and what we mean by myth is not not like it's false, right? Um, but right. it is just the idea of a story. And um, we'll dive into some definitions, right? Because some of these uh, ideas that, we, that we're going to hop into can get murky if we're not on the same page, at least of what we're talking about. Now, whether you agree with our, di our ideas and our definitions of it, then so be it, right? But at least we can be on the same page and not talk past each other um, because we're at least using um, common terms or at least identifiable terms. And 
to kind of move the, the conversation forward, it seems that Americans have organized themselves into two very distinct camps. Uh, the real battle, as Logan and I see it, are not um, liberal versus conservative, left versus right, Democratic versus Republican. You know, those are very surface ideas. But I think the real battle that we are seeing is between those who value freedom and those who value order, or another way to say it would be control or security. Mm-hmm. Right. And we frame it that way because there are people on both sides. I mean, we we know uh, we love listening to Jimmy Dore, for example, uh, and Jimmy Dore's a hardcore progressive lefty, but he doesn't have this illusion that the state is always going to be a good thing, that it's going to be mm-hmm. having your back all the time. And I think that's the important point of the, the us versus them that we want to address, that this isn't, uh, you know, what political party did you vote for? Uh, we would probably argue that both our political parties are kind of in the same camp when it comes to this argument that they're both for the the proliferation of the state itself uh, and the expansion of it, but that rather it's the idea of are you one who has the recognition in your head that the state can become an oppressive force uh, or that is the main oppressive uh, tool used at least to, to become tyrannical against us, or do you simply see the state as uh, as the the security blanket, the thing that's giving and you the freedom. And all be all a political organization. Mm-hmm, correct. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so just to define a few terms, right? So uh, I pulled this one from dictionary.com, freedom. It is the exemption from external control, interference, or regulation. Now, Logan found a really good article, and uh, we will link this in the uh, in the notes on Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're going to listen to this, because we do want to be able to cite our sources and have you guys um, read what we're reading, where we get our information and have you make your own decisions because I don't want you to take my word for it. If we misconstrue something, I want you to have the sources that we use. And I think that's a big part of our ideology in general between the two of us. It's a bit of a tangent to go down this, but I, I wouldn't mind mentioning that sure. we're big believers that uh, you know ideas should get their, their time in the sun, that we don't progress as a society in any way if we're suppressing language. Burning books mm-hmm. is... Uh, in my mind, always been a bad thing. I don't think there's any ideas that should be deemed too dangerous to hear or too radical if, or too radical or too against. You need to be able to discuss these things in order to hash out what the best way for us to organize society is and what the best uh, pursuit of freedom for each person is uh, individually. Absolutely. And so um, breaking down freedom, uh, this article, types of freedom, right? And I pull a lot of this right off that um and I, I link it because I, I want to give credit where credit's due. You know, these aren't all original thoughts. Um, and I certainly don't want to plagiarize speeches either. But two of these are pretty easy and digestible types of freedom. And then the third, which is we're, which is what we are most focused on and most interested in, is a little bit more esoteric. And that's where the real, I think that's where the real battle lies in. But right now, um, just to define the first type of freedom, it is national freedom. And that is simply freedom from an occupying force. Another way to say that would be national sovereignty. And the best way to look at this idea is that the United States has boundaries. It has territory on a map defined by latitude and longitudinal points. The United States has ultimate jurisdiction of what happens inside those points. And it's a, it's a really easy idea, right? Um, France controls France, Germany controls Germany, and sometimes parts of Poland. Um, but uh, <laughs> not, to, not to go down that rabbit hole. Um, Poland's such an easy country to pick on, and so is Germany. Um, but it is just the idea that the country and its government controls the territory in which it occupies. Right. And it's something that's easily recognized by everybody. We know when, even if you don't feel like your government's advocating for you or doing what you might like it to do, we all understand that, well, that guy up there that's in charge either was born in the same piece of dirt as I am, has a maybe a similar religious background uh, and a a similar set of moral ideas in his head that are going to lead him to to organize this society versus when you have somebody who's occupying your area. I mean, uh, whether it's the colonization period of uh, India or South America, where now we have these swaths of people who speak uh, European languages today still. Um, It's a starch difference when, even if there are evils being done against you by your government, it seems to be easier to digest when it's at least somebody from your own ethnic group or at least the the same patch of dirt that you were born on. 
Sure. And history is filled with examples like that. Um, Napoleon learned that when he invaded Spain, right? The Spanish people were not pumped about their government, but they quickly, you know, got rid of those grievances to fight a foreign oppressor. And I think that's, um, and I mean, we've, we've seen it um, all over history. Um, I mean, that's, that was just the first one that come, came to my mind. The second type of freedom is political freedom. And as you and I and Americans, we, this is something that I think that we take for granted, right? Because not all countries really have this, this particular type of freedom. And so political freedom is the freedom to participate in your government, um, to vote, to pass laws, to hold office, and can really just be summed up. It is the consent of the governed, you know, the line of the people for the people by the people that is outlying the foundation for the political freedom that this country was founded upon. And I would say you don't necessarily have to be a democracy for this to be a true freedom that you, you have. There, there are other ways to organize this, but it's just the idea that you're, you as the people are the driving force behind the decisions that the government is making, that the state is, is moving towards. Um, and again, this one is, is at least easier to identify than, than the third uh, category that we're going to express here in a moment but it's a little more ethereal than the original of a uh, national freedom. You can tell when somebody's occupying um, your, your area and enforcing their rule upon you, but it's a little tougher sometimes to understand if your government's truly advocating for your needs and, and your uh, desires for the direction for your society to move. Mm-hmm. And it is this moving compass um, because you can look at countries like China and Russia, they have national freedom but they do not necessarily have political freedom because Mm -hmm. yeah, sure. There's an opposition party to Vladimir Putin, but they end up getting poisoned or gunned down on, 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 (laughs) on government steps. And, you know, dissenters are quickly disposed of in that system. Uh, And that, that's a really good example of how you can have national freedom, but not political freedom. And I think that you don't necessarily have to have all of these build on top of each other, but it does seem that the most effective way to get to individual freedom is to have national freedom and then political freedom because they they tend to they tend to build off each other. Right, and that's of course the the third realm of freedom that we're going to go into, and what we're mostly uh, addressing today is is the freedom of the individual, the right mm-hmm. of each person to pursue their own happiness in their own life uh, and to live life how they see fit. Um, I think that's something that we don't. It's it's a very new idea. This one's extremely rare within the world and and uh very new you can go back to right i mean maybe the oldest example we have of it is uh kind of the greek and roman acclamations of it where you maybe didn't have a whole lot of political or national freedom the government was kind of doing whatever it wanted to but they did at least allow the territories they occupied to have a a large amount of individual freedom do with you do with uh, your life as you see fit to a certain degree yeah so the most basic form of this is uh, it's freedom to live as you it's freedom to live as you choose as long as you harm no one else. And so libertarians, uh, we get super autistic about um, the non-aggression principle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of our big framework. That's what we really stand on that um, that it is immoral to enact violence or harm against against anyone else outside of like self-defense, right? Because self-defense would fall into a different category of it. But I think that's why it's really important to have this conversation of what it means to be free and where is the line where, you know, and, and talk about the real trade-offs, right? Um, and it's in its most noblest form, it really manifests itself in the Bill of Rights, which is, you know, the freedom of consciousness, the freedom of speech, economic freedom, the freedom to choose your lifestyle. And personally, watching what's going on um, over 2020, I think that that is the greatest erosion that we have seen. Um, The lockdowns are a really good example of it, um, where you still have national freedom, right? The United States is still a sovereign nation. Uh, We still have political freedom. Even in the midst of a pandemic, you can go out and vote. Um, But the individual freedom, that one's getting a little murky now. That one's, uh, and I think that at the end of the day, without individual freedom, then really, what is the then what is the purpose of the other two? Um, at least for me, right? What really gives life value to me is the fact that I have autonomy over my body and my choices and the fruits of my labor. And this idea that the government can step in and 
tell me that my job's inessential or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, that one, that one really bugs me. And I think that that is at the greatest risk right now, as we say in December, late December, 2020, we have seen an assault on individual liberties that, I mean, probably hasn't existed in this country in a long time. Maybe since we uh, enacted the draft. Yeah, I'm not going to say never, right? Because there were definitely times like being conscripted against your will to go fight on right. foreign soil, not necessarily cool. Um, right. You know, rounding up uh, Japanese people and putting them in tournament camps, not necessarily cool, right? Keeping people as slaves, not necessarily cool, right? So it's like this country is not perfect and we do have a dark history, but at the same time, those ideas and values of liberty, um, they they still they still have meaning. Um, and then Logan, you want to you want to do order? Yeah, sure. So we we came up with a definition of order because it we didn't find a, a literal dictionary definition um, because it doesn't quite fit the the framework of what we're trying to say. Um, but we defined order as structure in the absence of chaos. So it's the idea that this order is going to provide to you safety, uh, essentially from outside forces, from from the ugly side of what is uh, individualism that. You know, we don't want to live in the caveman society where the, the larger caveman can come over and club you over the head and take the contents of your cave. Uh, we believe in the non-aggression principle as well as some property rights. Um, but outside of that, there, there's definitely a level at some point where this structure can become a negative. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I have this little note that it is like the appeal of order is that it can provide safety, which is true. But at the same time, I, I, there's a little caveat to me. I think it's the illusion of safety, honestly. At the end of the day, um, the only person that can truly guarantee your safety is you. Um, and this has kind of manifest itself in two, two ideas, right? One, that the system is rooted in anarchy. And I'm not talking about um, the media portrayal of anarchists where they're out there flipping over cars, burning buildings, looting businesses, all of that good stuff, right? Because anarchy is free from rulers, not free from rules. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, this from the nation state down to the individual, the system is rooted in anarchy because the only person or the only entity that can protect you is that entity, right? See, see Iraq 2003, see, um, see countless examples of history, see Poland 1939, see Poland 1914, see France, um, you know, see, see all of these examples of what happens because when another nation decides that they want to take your things and occupy your territory, the only person that can truly defend yourself as you now you have alliances and now yeah, maybe you might have an ally but also see poland right like what did france and britain do they sat around and waited for hitler to kick their butt six months after poland had already fallen so like you can't count on anybody and people say well we have the united nations but what does the united Nations do it wags its finger at people and says tisk tisk while some of the worst atrocities of the 20 you know second half of the 20th century, I should say, happened while you have you and observers on the ground. And the second point of that is that failure to be able to protect yourself can be existential, right? See the Holocaust, see all of the political prisoners of the Gulag, see the great leap forward, see any countless examples, the American genocide of the native populations, right? I'm an equal opportunity hater. Um, So I'm not gonna, I'm not a, I'm not a patriot in the sense like our country has never done any wrong. And so that's where I really lean towards, yes, order is good to a certain extent because it does help us organize and create a functioning society. But at the end of the day, it is an illusion. And for me, the, the, the trade-off between safety and individual liberties is a no-brainer because at the end of the day, the government can never guarantee my safety, but it certainly can take away my liberties. And I think we do both recognize that. And that's kind of what keeps us from being full-on anarchal is, uh, and why we often go back to, to being minarchist or, or circling back to the idea of minarchy um, is because we, we did have uh, a lot of people will point to the Native American population here as a one of the more larger examples of a libertarian society. Uh, and part of, you know, of course, guns, germs, and steel played a, a large aspect in them losing all that land, but it also would have helped them quite a bit if they were organized a little bit better. Would you have a bunch of warring tribes with different chiefs who might even be chiefs one season, but when hunting season comes around, they would appoint a better chief who's uh, more 
acclimated to hunting, um, you put all these war chiefs together, you're, you're not as coherent of a group. So I, I think that's my, at least the, what stands out in my mind is the number one reason that, uh, number one thing I have trouble wrapping my head around full anarchy on is there is the force of outside states that could come in at some moment. And right. Be able right. to repel that. And I think that's probably worth its entire, a, a deep dive into itself. You know, the difference of the Liberty spectrum, whether you're a classical liberal or a true a quote unquote, true libertarian or a minarchist or an anarchist, like anarcho-capitalist. Right. So um, that's probably, that probably merits a, a full episode. We should make a note of that. Um, back to this idea of safety though. Um, there's two really, two really good quotes that can kind of wrap it up in a bow and then we can move on. The first is that the average man does not want to be free. He simply wants to be safe. And I think that we're seeing that a lot in the lockdown of 2020, right? Why, why aren't people pushing back more against what's going on? Because I think at the end of the day, people just want to be safe, right? Mm-hmm. Leave me alone in my home. Just let me, just let me go to work. Just let me have my dinner with my family. Let me watch my television and leave me be. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, Thomas Jefferson has a great quote to really you know, drive it home is that timid men prefer the calm of despotism to the tempestuous sea of liberty. Mm -hmm. Because on the outside of that, it is, it's a wild world. And there are no guarantees, especially once you step out and start fighting for these ideas of liberty and personal rights and freedom to be ruled from a tyrannical government. You know, there are consequences to those actions because the revolution, I know that Americans, we like to point to the revolution, but what we don't like to talk about is the fact that had they lost, they would have been hung for treason, you know? So there is, there's a very, you, you stake your life and you stake your property and you stake the safety and the guarantees of your family. When you start to dive into this idea of fighting for what you believe in, which is why I think that people do prefer safety over freedom. And we're not here to tell you that it's going to be utopia tomorrow if we go into a full libertarian society. It's not like this is going to fix every problem there is, and it's not like this is a 100% perfect solution. I think that we just want to get into more of the idea of the number one force of oppression in this world throughout our entire history has come from the organization of a state. And that mm-hmm. in order to commit, in most cases, these tremendous genocides uh, and some of the most atrocious acts we've seen of war, you have to be able to organize into a, a large state that can raise a large army to do so. And I think that's a pretty good segue to go into our next section here, just talking about the sliding scale of, of the benefits of both. What is the, the spectrum that we're on? Where is that right, uh, that right area between individualism and collectivism? And, uh, and we recognize fully that there, there's evils to both. If you're 100% individual, then you're neglecting the, the collective of what your nation is and the people mm-hmm. around you. And there's, there's a level of selfishness there that we want to to get past again, you know, we don't want to just defer to the largest, uh, most intimidating person to take all of the goods. We want everybody to have, uh, <laughs> but the vice versa of that collectivism can, can go the other way too, or, you know, if we're working hard for our fruits of our labor and they get doled out and, uh, for whatever reason, they just tend to go to all of the family and friends of the politicians that we have doling this money out, uh, that, that mm-hmm. also is a pretty negative effect. Yeah, absolutely. And the best way to describe it is, um, you know, you can just, take a line, right? And on one side of it, you have individualism. And then on the other end, you have collectivism. Either spectrum, either end of the spectrum is evil, right? Um, 100% individualism is evil. And 100% collectivism is evil too. Because uh, like Logan said, individualism is evil because it neglects the collective. And collectivism is evil because it it forsakes the individual. Mm -hmm. And I mean, a great intro to that is Anthem from Ayn Rand. I think I, I read that in high school, and that's a really good way to really dip your toe into it um, without getting too, too deep into it. Um, but but there's benefits, right? And that's and that's really what we're here to talk about is this, is the trade-offs and the sliding scale and where do we find the right balance of it? Because the benefits of organization, you know, it is the collection of people into quote unquote society under the quote state to help bring quote civilization forward. And Yuval Harari has a really good um, 
section or he has a chapter about like um, we did not we did not domesticate plants plants domesticated us and I, I promise not to digress down that rabbit hole because I could talk the next 40 minutes about that but there is something to be said that when we start to organize in um, around areas that we can grow plants the benefit of that is that you do have the creation of the specialization right we don't have to spend all of our time looking for food hunting people can really dive into what they are good at and so it creates this diversity of ideas and skills that help create the modern world as we know it yeah absolutely and i mean i i think there's also a pretty interesting point there's a lot of research that's gone into the development of technology and we still see it today where most patents filed in this nation come from high population dense areas and whether that's just the ability to share this information throughout a society where you can bounce these ideas off of other people or from sort of the necessity of living on top of each other like that and having to find better ways to organize society. Mm -hmm. or, you know, you can't have a uh, hundred thousand people in one building and in that same area produce food for that same building. You have to, when you're that dense, you have to find ways to, to overcome. Mm -hmm. And another, another benefit of, you know, the organization quote unquote of the state is that um, order and control can lead to a more rapid and precise response to the problem, to problems and issues, right? So we can even take very relevant examples of this, see China 2020, they are dealing with the coronavirus. A lot of world leaders were like, oh, well, look at how they handled it. It's like, yeah, they did flatten the curve, but they locked people in their homes. They welded their doors shut. You know, there was a lot of yeah. really shady things going on. Yeah, in they, January they flattened that curve. They, uh, they yeah. may not have uh, flattened the starvation curve very well there. Absolutely. And so there is one of the, it is one of those things where, yes, order and control in a more effective state can lead to dealing with certain issues um, much better, which is why, it, for example, like World War II, you organize society in a, to a total war society where everything about it is driven around the war mechanism, right? People are rationing food and rationing certain goods because we need those materials and supplies to go across the ocean to two oceans, you know, across two oceans to help fight a two front war and everything about society is structured and organized to win those wars. That is a benefit of what happens when you have a complete state. But then there's also cons to the organization too. And what, uh, what ends up happening, I think, is that the state power starts to dominate all other, all other forms. Mm -hmm. And that can lead to the destruction of the individual. Right. It, it does allow for better organization in times of crisis and you can act more quickly and you don't have issues of, you know, it, say the the virus was so deadly that the only way for the human race to survive it was for us to all stay inside for six months. It's a lot easier to do that in an authoritarian society than it is in a place like America, where there's right. going to be somebody who uh, points to a QAnon quote and says you're just here to, to push the one world government. Uh, but it also has the disadvantage of you can, the state... Uh, is made up of human beings. I don't see them as uh, as being any particularly overly intelligent demographic. Um, I don't think they're all these miracle workers. And then it also provides for them in the same way that they can organize quickly to address a crisis. It also organizes them in an area where they can create a crisis just as quickly. Right. Absolutely. And um, <laughs> I had a I had a point, and it just it just slipped away. I hate <laughs> when that happens. You. That's yeah, never fun. It, it does. you got that record button staring you in the face. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. but Logan made a really good point. Um, full credit to him that the scale starts to tip towards tyranny past security at a certain point, and I think we're really starting to see that. Where, especially in America 2020, that okay we do have to protect vulnerable population, right? Um, you know, we can all take these, these measures to really try to help healthcare workers and frontline people that are just getting their butts whooped from having to deal with this for the last nine months and yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. But it also tends to start to push past just, we need to take care of vulnerable populations. It starts to really descend into um, despotism. That's the only way that I know how to describe it. Um, what has happened is just unconscionable. And as far as I'm concerned, 
illegal and immoral. Um, the, the control the government has taken and exerted into our lives on a day-to-day basis that the government has no business. Business the government has no business telling me if my job is essential, whether or not I can and can't go to work. Those are mm-hmm. those are not those are not roles of the state. And I think that plays into exactly what we're saying of once you get to a certain level of this state control, it can become a negative aspect. And, and mm-hmm. like we're seeing, we're even if you're of the leftist persuasion, it's pretty easy to look right now and see how much money Amazon, Walmart, Google have made through this crisis while we've absolutely eliminated the middle class in this country, or at least made our best effort to do so. Mm-hmm. And that's just a, a stark example of, of what can happen when you give too much control to a government that isn't necessarily the philosopher king that has all the answers. Absolutely. Uh, even, and I think even more over this, this cronyism that we have, I mean, it not only did it not take the correct measures in our eyes to have diverted this disaster without causing issues, it intentionally has gone to pay off its buddies. If you're one of these lobbyists or somebody who's paid for these politicians to get in, you're not only being protected from this, you're directly benefiting from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I just remembered my point. Um, it was uh, back to your QAnon, right? So this idea, like, you can take the conspiratorial take that, okay, like QAnon says this, and, you know, you can go down that rabbit hole. But then also you can push back that because the Constitution says that I have the freedom to peaceably assemble. It does not say asterisk except in the event of a pandemic, right? I have these rights that are inalienable to my existence, and I don't want to get too much into it because it's it's uh, later points that we want to make. But that's that 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 was my point. That at the end of the day, you don't even have to take a conspiratorial take. You can simply reject this on the premise that I have a constitution which guarantees my rights. Mm-hmm. And I think without um, going too deep down it, that when you have quote unquote rights that can be suspended by the government for whatever reason they want to want to say, whether it be justified or not, right? Um, Because I'm not diving into that. But if you have rights, quote unquote, that can be suspended, you do not have rights. You have privileges granted Mm -hmm. to your granted to you by your government. That's a really good way to put that. And I think another important point to make in this is, is yes, we want to protect these freedoms. Um, but somebody might make the counter of well, when you have something like a, a coronavirus or whatever the next great bla- plague will be that sweeps the, the world, uh, we, maybe we need these extra measures in, in order to subvent it. Maybe we need to take special. I think that was the, the argument you might hear somebody make. But the issue with that is, can you give me an example of when the government then seceded that power back after it happened? Mm-hmm. You know, Why do we have all these stories of Caesar who takes dictatorial powers for and, and the root of the word dictatorial being 10, because I think it's expected to be a 10 year uh, hold on the position at most. And uh, just all of a sudden he seems to hang on to it forever until somebody rounds up a bunch of buddies and stabs him in a, a courtroom. <laughs> a two brute. A two. A hundred percent. And so this idea of, you know, what does, what does individual evil and what does collective evil look like? You know, individual evil is what Logan's been talking about. It's survival of the fittest. It is the wild plains of the savannah where the biggest caveman with the biggest stick can go around clubbing whomever he sees fit and who cannot defend themselves and taking what they want. And there is, you know, there's some other examples, right? So I think the Rwandan genocide could be used. Um, That is probably an example of when you should have some sort of state and some sort of order that could prevent atrocities because Romeo Dallaire, the UN general said, I need 48 hours, 2,500 troops and armored personnel carriers. They're running around with machetes, right? Um, They're no match for 50 caliber machine guns. It's, it's really easy how this is, how they're organized. I can shut this down. So that is an example of when you would like to have some sort of order and some sort of uh, mechanism of the state to enforce that order, right? And But I think that's a really extreme example because far more you get um, what, what collective evil looks like. And those things are, they're so on the nose. It is Nazi Germany. It is Stalinist Russia. It is Maoist China. Right. They are they are these actors and states that have performed the worst atrocities in recorded human history, as far as we know. And those three examples happened under a totalitarian system. Right. Whether they're fascist or communist. Right. Because that that really doesn't matter. Now you're now you're just splitting hairs about how how economics are organized. Um, But they are all very authoritarian and totalitarian in their nature. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, they're, and it's something that, uh, we find, you know, the Rwandan genocide, and that was our example for a liberty society that has gone wrong. And, and I'm sure we could find a couple more if we dig, but it seems like most of the great atrocities in human history, uh, whether it's an enslavement of an entire ethnic group or genocide or carpet bombing half of Europe, uh, it all comes from a place where the state has made a decision and has organized its people and has pointed to this God-given right or this greater good. And, the, and this is why we have to do this thing because otherwise the alternative could be blank uh, and essentially fear-mongering us into, mm -hmm. into destroying our fellow man. Yep, it is, it is the myth that creates unity. Um, so we want to take a quick little detour, though, um, still along the same lines, though, and really kind of outline the, the history of freedom, right? Because as Logan said earlier, this is a relatively new phenomenon, right? Um, we take it for granted in 21st century America that like freedom, that's what we do, you know, but for the almost the entirety of human existence, it has not been that way. And um, just I'm just going to run through this stuff real fast because I don't want to rabbit hole too deeply into it. But the 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 history of freedom, quote unquote, as I see it, you can really start it with the Magna Carta. Right. So that's a peace treaty um, between uh, warring barons and the king. And that tr that peace treaty provided protections, um, protections of church rights, protections of illegal imprisonment, um, access to swift justice and limitations of taxes paid to the crown. Right. That is kind of the very first step that we took as um, modern society to erode the absolute nature of the crown and provide very small, but albeit important uh, liberties to men. Right. And this is more along the lines of individual freedom, because I, I think there are good examples earlier of this, of national freedom um, and maybe probably not even political freedom, though. I, th I think maybe even that came after the Magna Carta. But, um, you know, before that time, there was very little delineation between the deity and the ruler. And at the very least, they were kind of considered to be ordained by God. And that's something that um, I think most people can probably recognize as pretty dangerous, whether you're talking about some guys flying planes into the Twin Towers during 9-11, or you're looking back at uh, the Catholic Church organizing most of Europe to march into the Middle East and slaughter half the population in, in order to claim this uh, certain church for God on our side. It's uh, our, our prophet versus your prophet, even though we, we maybe agree on the same Abrahamic God. <laughs> And depending on what side of that story, there's a, you know, a lot of hero worship of the Crusades still in, in Christian communities. But imagine if you go to the Middle East and ask them about the Crusades, they don't have quite as a... Uh, They're not as pumped about them. About it. <laughs> it didn't go quite as awesome on their end. No doubt. No doubt. Um, and then just moving on with this, this idea of the revolutions, right? So Magna Carta, that's early 1600s, I think is like 1650, um, 1615, sorry. Um, but then the next real big one is the American Revolution, right? Of course, of course, like here comes the American experiment. But what really separated that from other secessions and wars of independence and stuff, right? Like wars had been fought uh, to be free from another monarch and then to have a, a family or a house control your territory, right? Free, like overthrow one monarch to return to another monarch. But this one was really foundational moving forward and it really shapes i mean so much of europe in the next century um because the idea that rights come from your creator and not the government that's that's a very revolutionary idea and that government's role in this country and in the founding of it the government's role is to protect the rights of the individual from the state that is why the per that is the purpose of the Constitution, and that is why it gives it clear and defined roles to the federal government, right? If you really want to get technical on it, like 92% of the federal government is illegal according to the federal Constitution, because those are those roles and those agencies and those uh, tasks are not delegated to it by the Constitution and have mm -hmm. not been voted on for the people or by the people. And I think a lot of that comes back to us not having a strong identity with national sovereignty, like you say, because we mm -hmm. haven't had to address that in a long time. I mean, really since our revolutionary war is the last time we've had any issue with, with the uh, foreign powers ruling over us, uh, at least on a large scale like that. And definitely 
Americans today don't have any idea of what it is to not have that national freedom. So right. I think sometimes we lose focus of that and we don't understand that these powers, the state here could also become that tyrannical force because we a long time ago purged that tyrannical force and, and have experienced freedom. So we've, we've kind of forgotten what the other side of that sword is. Mm-hmm. I think that we get, we're so inundated with just the ideas of it and we take them for granted. We take national political and individual freedom for granted in this country because you and I, as people, I was born in 90, um, you're a few years earlier, right? Like what's the great struggle of our time that we've had to fight. I mean, you can even argue World War II is the, that was like the last great struggle that America had to actually be a part of because you are, you are trying to fight off these existential threats that threaten life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, back to the, back to the constitution, the, the, the American revolution though, the idea of that is the, the entire experiment of the government was to, was that, the government should be controlled and contained by the constitution and that the constitution is there to restrict the government, the state, not the people. And Thomas Sowell has an absolute great quote. Um, and it is the constitution defends you, but you must defend the constitution. So um, taking that to modern day examples, right? Like we have all of these lawsuits in this contested election and it's ugly. And it's like, who's right, who's wrong? Who's, you know, like, and it gets so murky and stuff. But at the end of the day, I really do think that this boils down to either the Constitution matters or it does not. And the precedents that we set over the next month or so, not even the next month, the next three weeks, are, it's either going to solidify the Constitution as a, as a driving force and a guide for us, or it's going to become a piece of parchment in a museum. And it doesn't really matter. Um, I don't like the second one at all. Yeah. And I think that's something we're hyper-focused on the two of us and, and that we probably are hyper-focused on because we feel like a lot of people have lost the focus on this, but this is a creeping power. The, the state is something that doesn't tend to give power back and it loves to just continuously gain more and more authority and, and uh, sovereignty over the area around it. Uh, and it's something that we need to be vigilant about, or it's going to eventually become that thing, that that gross monster that then infringes on your rights. And and I think that's a big part I mean, of the we're point here. of what we're trying to get across. The us as far as I'm them. concerned, we're here. Right, exactly. And, and I think that that's the message we're really trying to get across today is that there's a lot of people who are more on the, the right wing persuasion of this country that feel like they're being infringed upon right now. But it wasn't that long ago. I mean, in the 1960s, we had phrases like don't trust anybody over 30 were popularized. I mean, there's it's something that the we can't be fooled by just because the current amalgamation of the culture is addressing some of the issues that we like, that it's okay for them to be oppressive on the other side of the culture, because Mm -hmm. it can always turn that pendulum can swing the other way. And someday you're not going to get the idea you like. Uh, and we even talked about that a little bit with uh, our disappointment with the the new presidential regime where there's this padding of the backs of all the, the woke crowd right now because, hey, look at all this historical number of women and, and people of color and, and all the diversity and it, it more reflects America. And none of that's a bad thing. But right. if every one of those guys has the exact same foreign policy as Dick Cheney, then what does it matter <laughs> that they all have different skin color and, and genitals? They're going right. to just go into war and they're going to kill more people that I don't think we should have any business invading. Yeah. And not to digress down that rabbit hole too much, but it is worth pointing out that I also think that the reason that you get a diverse cabinet appointment by Biden is not because he actually believes in it. I think it's a way to appease the left and the progressive crowd without actually giving them anything, right? If I can give you a diverse cabinet, but Mm -hmm. not roll out Medicare for all, not give you health, you know, access to affordable health insurance, or even just flat out health insurance on the more radical end, on um, in the middle of a pandemic, if I don't have to give you rent relief and mortgage relief, if I don't have to actually do any of these things that the left believes in and wants from their democratic president, then great. I will appoint, I will have the most diverse, it's gonna look like a rainbow. This cabinet's right. gonna be great because at the end of the day, if you'll shut up, shut up peasants, I gave mm-hmm. you I gave you the first Native American interior secretary. I gave you the first openly gay cabinet appointee. I gave you the first black secretary of defense, right? If I can give you all of these things, 
and I don't actually have to give you any of the things that you want, but you'll shut up because Orange Man Bad, we finally conquered the greatest evil of our time, and now we get to roll back to the neoliberal agenda, then I, I, I mean, I don't blame him. I vehemently right. disagree with it, but not, I can't blame him. It's not time to walk away, guys. <laughs> and the same on the other end. If you were big time into draining the swamp and getting out of all these wars, and now you look back four years later and, and only in the last month of his presidency did he assign a McGregor who might have actually been somebody who had some momentum into ending these wars, then what did you really get out of it? Was it worth it to, to go with Donald Trump that we didn't, didn't end a single war, that we barely brought any troop backs and the only time it really happened was after he got embarrassed in that Axios interview for not bringing troops back and then he decided he was all about it. Uh, and you know how much less corrupt is our government today because of Trump? Did anything happen? I, nothing measurable, at least. Yeah, what did you really get? And I know that um, before we move on, though, um, something that uh, I was having a conversation with a friend and this idea that, oh, I'm, you know, 74 million people voted for Trump. I've heard this from, from a lot of people, actually. It's like they should probably go to like re-education camps. And, you know, and it's like that to me is very dangerous rhetoric, right? I can understand that some of these people are just joking. Um but at the end of the day, like language is dangerous and it does hold weight. Um, but but people are like, oh, I can't believe that 74 million people voted for um, Donald Trump. And then on the flip side, it's like, I can't believe that 80 million people voted for Joe Biden. I look at the scene and it's like, I can't believe 154 Americans voted for statist. You know, that's what <laughs> I, I look at all. Of it. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like it's not it's not left versus right. It's not this idea that that the media and that the corporate press wants you to believe the idea is like, I saw 154 million people that voted for more statism. That's all right. I see. You know, I see a very, very small fringe group who voted for a libertarian candidate. Now, don't get me wrong. Joe Jorgensen was not a great candidate. The libertarian party blew it this year. And I will be the, I will be behind Dave Smith and, um, and Michael Malice and Rob the fire Bernstein. I will be a very vocal opponent of the Libertarian Party. But at the same time, like you did have someone who was on the ballot who stands against all of these ideas that we're talking about. But to kind of wrap this up though and keep moving forward, like the creation and the refinement of these ideas over the history of freedom, right? The Magna Carta, the French Revolution, the American Revolution, the revolutions of 1848 that spilled into 51, the Civil War, right? All of those things are the creation and the refining of the idea that the individual is the sovereign of their lives and not the state. Right. And I, and I think there's been a, a large amount that's really pushed us this way. Um, in that same article that we were referencing earlier, the Foreign Policy Research Institute, um, they kind of lay out some of these ideas that at least that author attributed to us uh, coming down this path. And, and what's really apparent about them is that it's very much so what we hang on to in Western culture. So this is something that has not been spread amongst the entire world. And that's why we don't typically see these uh, great opportunities for freedom like we do in America. Um, and what he points to is the Old Testament was the first thing and kind of giving us the idea that we have uh, have the freedom uh, ordained by God that we're not to be uh, infringed upon by somebody who doesn't hold those Abrahamic beliefs. Um, it goes into the Greeks and the Romans and, the, and their idea of self-government and their individual freedoms um, and how this was then kind of co-opted by Christianity in general and saying that all men have unalienable rights that were endowed to him by the creator. And then we get to the Magna Carta in England, where we, we kind of see where government now falls under the uh, rule of law as well, and that even a government is not above it. Um, and the last one he goes into is kind of the frontier and the, the equality of opportunity that we saw in this country. And this is why we saw massive immigration throughout the history of this country, is because Absolutely. we weren't so pushed up against each other that we couldn't pursue our own uh, way of life. You could go out into the frontier, you could make a life, you could hash out a cabin somewhere and claim land and, and be able to, to make things work out that way. Um, and it's, it's something that is very unique to the American experience that we've had all this come together in this way and, and that it, it doesn't exist in a lot of places in the world because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great point. I mean, that's, there's so many interesting little tangents that we could just dive down like the rabbit hole. Cause I would love to just talk about like the idea of how this country ended up being what it is, because I think one of the biggest argument is that we had space and that you could actually, you know, you, I don't like what you think. Cool. I'm going somewhere else, you right, know, and I'm right. going to take my happy <laughs> butt out somewhere else. I'm going to California or I'm going to Oregon or I, I'm going to Kansas, right? All of those, um, 
Oh, I think that's probably worth an episode. But anyways, uh, just to move forward, I think to just kind of like wrap this up, right? Because we only got 10 minutes or so left. I think it's really important to look at um, the United States government as an oppressive state because we like to think about oppression out there, right? That sucks to live in China because of the CCP. It sucks to live in um, Russia because Vladimir Putin has just extended his the the way that he can be president. So we're gonna get we're gonna get more Vladimir Putin because he ain't going anywhere. Um, but if you look at the United States government and what it has done and how it has just continually crept into um, our lives. I mean, just a, just a quick list of it, right? You can't collect rainwater. What type of hogwash is that? <laughs> it is it is illegal to collect hot. It is illegal to um, collect rainwater. Why? Because I, I'm going to guess at the end of the day, the state wants you more dependent on municipal water sources and money than to actually be self-sufficient, right? Um, Second Amendment restrictions are another huge one. I'm very thankful that I live in a pretty pro-Second Amendment state. Um, there have been pushes in my state to, you know, try to, try to, you know, start to, start to minimize those. But fortunately, there have been enough pushback in this state to be like, I don't know if you can do that quite, Governor. Um, but I mean, the just the fact that, you know, that is a direct infringement of the Constitution. So any of these people that live in these uh, these large blue cities, Chicago, New York, like that's if that's not a gross infringement of your written constitutional right, then I don't know what better example you really need. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's uh, and even just your, your freedom of speech. I mean, we're seeing that more and more today yep. that there's a. Uh, been a lot of stories right now of people, some of which are even health professionals coming out and saying that the, the vaccine may not be ready or that there's some questions we should have about it. And uh, Twitter and Facebook have teamed up to go ahead and, and deem that uh, fake news and, and start censoring that kind of speech. So it, it's worrisome. And, and it comes back to us being huge advocates of getting ideas out into the public, that the only way that we're going to find the best way to organize, the best way to move forward is to hear every idea, hash it out, have the debate and see which one stands above the rest. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you, you know, of course, there's the, the threat of maybe a charismatic person who's able to, to just lay out a better argument than everything else. But I still like the idea of me being able to hear all of the, the possibilities laid out in front of me and be able to make the right decision for myself and, and, uh, and that extrapolating to every individual. Absolutely. Yeah. And th this unholy merger of like big tech um, and the state, uh, that could be a full other episode, too, um, because it that one really bugs me. Um, the fact that half the medical community is being censored, that if you don't, um, we will follow the science, but only the science that fits our narrative. And the other science doesn't, we don't get to talk about that because that's fake news. And you don't get to talk about improprieties and irregularities in this election because that's fake news, right? And this, this whole attack on quote unquote fake news is a gross infringement on your first amendment. Right. Um, I mean, it right was, uh, you were, you were a conspiracy theorist two months ago, if you brought up the Hunter Biden laptop, uh, and then after the election, once the, about, now they want to talk about it. You know, yeah, as soon, soon as the electoral college is done, turns out, Oh, we actually have an open investigation since 2018 into Hunter Biden. <laughs> right. But how many people actually even heard that story because yeah. it was, it was being purged. Right. Um, another great example is taxes, man. I do not like taxes and they tax <laughs> us at every quarter. There's the income tax. There's an inheritance tax. There's excise tax. There's property tax. There's capital gains tax. It's just like capital gains one. And I, I, that one really gets me. It's like the government did not make that money. I made that money. The government did not invest that money. I invested that money. I took the risk. I like those are the fruits of my labor and the fact that under Joe Biden's proposed tax plan that the government gets 40% of any profit that I make on investments. Oh, that one just really that one really grinds my gears. But I mean, just to keep moving down, did we have the largest spying apparatus in human history? I mean, the renewal of the Patriot Act, the NDAA, I mean, all of these things are just such gross and blatant infringements on your rights that I don't know why people aren't more outraged. And you best believe though, that, and this shows you everything you need to know, right? We're going to fight about coronavirus relief and we're going to fight about, um, does this law get passed and does that law get passed? But every time the Patriot Act comes up for renewal, guess what goes through in a day? It doesn't gets matter if it's a Democrat or Republican. Really yeah. You can talk about doesn't matter who the president is, doesn't matter who controls the House or the Senate. Guess what's getting renewed? The mm -hmm. Patriot Act. 
And then that leads us to our lovely alphabet boys, the ATF, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, the TSA, the IRS, all of these entities and organizations that are not elected. These are appointed positions who run these organizations. And, and sometimes kill presidents. You can make that argument. <laughs> and to think that any of those organizations work for you as the people, you're delusional. Whatever rock you've been living under, I, I want to join you under there because ignorance is bliss because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not that nice of a world as the way I see it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a scary thing. And it's crazy how much we've forgotten that these are unelected spies who, I mean, and especially, and I don't mean to harp continuously on the, the left of this country, but it breaks my heart because of how much I became a left-leaning individual for free speech and you know, uh, suspicion of the government and the mm -hmm. CIA. And now it's like we have the left wing in this country for whatever reason has decided the CIA is not an issue anymore and that we should listen to everything they say. Right. Thank God it the is, deep state fought Donald Trump for the last oh, thank four, goodness. four years. Yeah, the, the deep it's state like, oh, saved us. You know, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Shouldn't <laughs> that's another that interesting one state? that we used to not even address the deep state in our uh, deep state media apparatus. And it's now true. they've they've felt comfortable enough that they're even sticking their necks out enough to say not not there is no evidence of a deep state and that's a silly thing this is the government by the people but they're going to this uh, extent to say look the deep state just saved us from orange hitler isn't that amazing that we have this deep state that's looking after us right thank god for the spying apparatus you know <laughs> we might have <laughs> never taken you know, down this duly elected president if we didn't have these uh, cabal of spies mm-hmm yeah if only because you know nothing bad's ever happened when uh when the government just operates unregulated you know uh, <laughs> waco was waco wasn't that big of a deal you know deploying tanks on american soil and raiding compounds and right. you know choking out children and bring them to death that's all cool right those that happened from unelected positions and unelected officials making decisions right um yeah. and i think just a, a good way because we're, we're running out of time here to really wrap it up the way that i see it um because it seems to be like a lot of those things are out there, right? And they're not so close to home. But the way I see it, um, those who are okay with the lockdowns, these government edicts and decrees, because they're not laws, right? They're not passed by a legislative body actually, um, you know, ratifying into a law. These are, these are just words on a paper coming from our governors, our lovely governors that probably need to be sent to Guantanamo, as far as I'm concerned. Um, we have our oath, oath breakers, which is the best way to call them, because any police that is willing to enforce unconstitutional measures, they are oath breakers. You know, any of people that support that, um, no respect for the Constitution, those people value order over liberty. And I would just ask you without, um, you know, because I don't want to call anyone out, but I would just implore you to take a look at your own stances on these things and figure out which side of the fence you're on. And if you are okay with whatever side of the fence you are, the, okay, so be it. At least you thought about it. But if you are someone who thinks that they like liberty, they think you think that you love this country and you want to see it continue, but you are okay with these things, then it's probably time to take a really hard look in the mirror and figure out what is more important. Yeah, and, and I think that's the biggest part of our message and of the, the liberty movement that we want to become a part of and, and in our own egotistical sense, uh, even spearhead at some point in the future, hopefully. Uh, there, there's too many people who don't understand that the state is an oppressive force, and not only an oppressive force, but probably the number one tool to oppression. All right, you don't, oppressive you don't, force. Exactly. You don't oppress people without an, a, a monopoly on force. Um, so it, it's important to us to, to spread this message and to let people know that this is probably the greatest threat to our time is that we can we're watching individual freedom slip out of our hands and we're running into this potential that the deep state's going to take total control and that the the one last bastion of freedom in this world might go uh, snuffed out into the dark do not go gently into that good night yeah i think the best way to sum up everything that we've talked about is the state as it stands is anathema to liberty the two the two cannot exist in its current standing in the same reality because one directly is at war with the other and um yeah i think that's about all i got logan you got anything else man i think that's about it i'm excited to have uh we may have had one audio hiccup so i apologize if you guys have made it this far hopefully it all came out through uh cleared the rest of the way but 
Um, you know, we're new to this. We're figuring it out. We're eventually, hopefully, we're going to get good at hammering out these episodes and not having to record 15 times each week to, to get a coherent <laughs> thought out. Um, but, hey, guys, we appreciate you hanging in there for the ride. Hope you uh, tell your friends about us. Subscribe. Uh, listen in and, and start spreading that message of freedom. All right, guys. We'll see you later. Later.